Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside my good friend and host of the Bucks Radio Network, Justin Garcia, is back. Uh, last time we spoke, Justin, the situation wasn't as dire as what it is now, but I think the most important place to start with this podcast would be with Giannis. Uh, we spoke to Bud after practice uh, today, which would be what day would that be? Monday, US time. Monday. I, guess, <laughs> I guess by the time everyone's listening, it's Tuesday and game day. But this was Monday. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Bucks fans have uh, caught the report. But just one quote I wanted to uh, give here. Bud said, "Looking at everything, assessing everything together, we'll continue to make decisions that protect and keep Giannis in the position where he's healthy and has a long, long, healthy career and is still available to us in giving us what he can." He also said, "There's some chance he wasn't going to play." <laughs> in game four and he said it's impossible to say about his availability in game five so i guess there's hope uh I, i'm just going to say this justin from what we heard from bud during this game i've got it at about 10 percent that Giannis plays in game five well so you're pretty optimistic i uh <laughs> you're right yeah i mean i have it below 10 percent. i just you know, watching him leave the arena in a walking boot over the weekend and um, hearing those quotes from Bud and the way he said to, uh, yeah, I guess there's hope and that we haven't ruled him out yet. So, sure, I guess there is hope that he can play in game five. I mean, I, I think it's just – I think it's it's pretty obvious that that ankle was severely injured. He tried to, I mean, we know how Giannis is, that he tried and probably insisted and forced his way into playing game four. And unfortunately, you had the worst case scenario where he re-aggravated that injury that I, I would be, well, I don't want to overreact and say stunned, but I'd be very surprised if we see him in game five. And quite frankly, um, I would be surprised if, if the Bucks can keep this alive and keep staving off elimination, I would be surprised if we see him before game seven, if they can get that far. I don't think that's crazy to, to feel that way. I mean, the big thing is, and Bud was actually asked, how do you balance Giannis probably not giving you his true feelings and his true thoughts in regards to his ankle? Because we all know Giannis. We've watched the way that he's played, whether you've been had the opportunity to be you know, close like we have with fortunate position we've been in or as fans that, that watch on TV. I mean, Giannis, there's no stopping him. And he will, whether it's for better or worse, he will put himself in situations that he probably shouldn't health-wise for this team. And that's why, as a leader, you heard the players after Game 4 speak about the fact that um, you know, him even being out there and playing with the aggression and the, and the force that he was playing with in the first half in game four was so remarkable because, as you pointed to, you know, clearly he probably was far from 100%. I think the biggest thing is, obviously, he's re-aggravated it, but the news that came out 
that he again was like, strap it up, strap it up. I'm going to play. And they were doing tests and he literally couldn't put any weight through it. He couldn't put his full yeah. weight through it. I, I think that that is, is the scary part of all this. And you know, if it's in the regular season, miss a couple of weeks and come back. But this is the problem with the playoffs and particularly in a year where you're only getting 24 hours off or 24 hour one off day yeah. um, to, to get it right. And, and Bud said that the, he's getting treatment around the clock. But ultimately, it does feel like Giannis and the Bucks are going to lose out in the battle against the clock. And, and the most important thing is, and, you know, I've been kind of impressed, to be honest, with the reaction from a lot of Bucks fans that have sort of said, you know, even before yesterday's game, before game four, there's a lot of Bucks fans saying, you know, don't, don't risk it with this guy. I mean, let's not yeah. do him any long-term damage. And, and we want the Bucks to keep this season alive. We want them to win game five regardless and, and then things can really get interesting if you get it back to three two but at the same time I don't think anyone would feel comfortable looking at Giannis a hobbled Giannis out on the floor in game five I, I don't think that's what anyone wants to see well and there's a couple of things so um number one just off the last thing you said if they can win tomorrow today whenever you're listening to this if they can win game five um that's when it gets really interesting because then the pressure moves to miami that all of a sudden they're at risk of being the fourth team uh, to go up three games to none and be taken to a game seven and of course we know no team has ever come back from that 3-0 deficit but if you make it 3-2 all of a sudden it gets interesting and that uh, the tension builds and the pressure shifts towards miami more so than the bucks um but with Giannis, you know I, when, when the play happened and when we heard his reaction, you knew it wasn't good. But uh, as we were watching the game and as it was unfolding in front of us and they went to commercial break, we had the feed of the court and you could see he attempted to get up once and then just immediately went back down and needed to be helped off the floor by Thanasis and George Hill as they later showed. But immediately you could see there was no pressure put on it that we kind of knew, okay. I would guess he's not returning. I'm, I guess I'm not surprised, but we still haven't heard what the severity and what the injury is. We just know it was an ankle injury and that he didn't return. We haven't heard, is it a grade two sprain? I would imagine we won't probably won't get that information until the very last minute. In in that case, it's my guess would be it's a grade two sprain or something along those lines. And obviously Giannis is going to miss today and potentially more than that. But I, I agree with you that I've been impressed with how Bucks fans have handled this. Now I wonder, uh, look, I, I wonder how much of that changes if this series is two games <laughs> apiece or if it's three, one bucks. Um, but keep in mind for the Bucks too. And, and look, there's, there's obviously going to be a lot written and said about this in the coming year, but I mean, the Bucks kind of have to handle it this way because you know, what happens a year from now when, you rush Giannis back and he suffers uh, a re-aggravation of that injury. Well, how does that look a year from now when Giannis or potentially, you know, this fall too, whenever he decides that, but how does that look when he makes a decision of where he wants to be long-term? So you kind of have to juggle, look, we have Giannis and it's a tough spot to be in. We have Giannis. So we need to win now and maximize the assets, but also we need to look out for Giannis's long-term future, and hopefully that's here in Milwaukee with us. So I thought, and this was something I brought up with Frank coming out of game four, I, I thought that uh, you know, at the start of that game, it was all Giannis, and I, I didn't think anyone, 
else was really showing any initiative on offense. I didn't think anyone else was being aggressive. And sure, sometimes you miss shots. That's, that's going to happen from time to time. But I, I thought Giannis going down, and, and there was a lot of like weird and, and just really bizarre takes from people saying, well, the Bucs are, are better without Giannis on the floor. Now, we know at times the offense has struggled with Giannis in this series. Clearly, for the Bucs to have any chance in taking this in seven, they're going to need this guy back. Whether that happens or not, we will see. But I did think what it did was force these guys to, to take the initiative. And I, I thought that they got a lot out of that. So at times, Justin, in this series, the Bucs have been unable to drive. They've really struggled with the drive and kick game. We spoke about the Miami defense. But in real life, if you're unable to drive, you need to go to rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 plus years. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for the professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers like myself. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the how did you hear about us box uh, that's locked on in the how did you hear about us box and they'll know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com now one of the questions that bud was asked during the press conference today was is it easier or harder to prepare for a game, so game five without Giannis and knowing you're going into it and you have to figure out your offense and how you're going to score, or is it is it harder in a game where he goes down and it's unexpected? And this is where Bud sort of pointed to the fact that they thought there was a significant chance that Giannis wasn't going to play in game four, so they did have some preparation for it. Obviously, when it happens in the fly in the second quarter, it's unexpected and it's not the path you want to go down. But I do think... It's interesting, and one of the, the big things that's going to be interesting to see in this game, assuming that Giannis doesn't play, is what Miami does defensively, because perhaps they're the team now that will adjust uh, to these guys. And, and you know, to be fair, I don't know what else they do with Chris Middleton. I mean, he was just getting buckets down the stretch. They were putting a, a number of defenders on him. They were sending double teams to him. So uh, I think that the one thing it does do with the Bucks' offense is you're not going to have both Bledsoe and Giannis on the floor at the same time. You're not going to have these lineups with guys that aren't getting any respect from the Miami defense. They aren't a threat from the perimeter. So I think in general, it opens things up a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's obviously difficult to think about the Bucks winning another game from the start without Giannis because, uh, you know, the big thing that gets overlooked, Giannis was still the Bucks' second scorer yesterday and he only played 11 minutes. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh... I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I, I had said a couple of times that I am in no way, and I'm not saying you are insinuating this, I'm in, in no way, shape, or form saying the Bucks are better off without Giannis. But, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. And the Bucks have been outscored throughout this series with Giannis on the floor. And, you know, even in game four, where you talk about the start that Giannis got off to, the Bucks were losing. And it was, you know, what, down eight or nine at the end of the first quarter, when Giannis, I think, was up to 12 or 11 points, um, we saw more of the same. And it just seems like this Miami Heat team has put so much time and energy and effort into constructing the wall, and this is our defense and shutting down Giannis and making sure 
we're sealing off the point of attack for him that let's make Giannis think um, that even when Giannis was healthy, the minutes where he was off the floor, it did seem like the Bucks were catching them unprepared. The thing about the question to Bud is I think it's really more important for Miami. And, you know, Bud being asked, is it tougher to change midway through the game or to now approach this game with the understanding that Giannis isn't going to play? It's going to loom larger for Miami because we all hold Eric Spolstra in the same regard, I think, and one of the best five at least coaches in the league. Uh, If you're Eric Spolstra in the heat, there is no way – you haven't game planned for a Bucks team without Giannis. And uh, now Miami gets that extra day and a half or two days to work out, okay, here's some of the things that we struggled with when Giannis was off the floor. We're assuming we're not going to see him in game five. So let's craft a new defense here. And that's what would be most worrisome to me if I was a Bucks fan. No question. I think the interesting thing to look at is Chris Middleton as a playmaker as well. Um, I think that when we looked at what he was able to do in the second half, we know he had 30 points in the second half and and overtime, and he was fantastic. But he was also still making plays. I I think that it's been overblown a little bit that the Bucs should have the ball in his hands more than than Giannis, or they should even it out a little bit. Because I think at times we have seen that Chris Milton as a guy um, can, can be a little bit sloppy, can be a little bit turnover prone. Uh, with the ball in his hands. But I think there's certainly something to be said with getting the ball in his hands more, getting the ball in Eric Bledsoe's hands more, and playing Giannis off the ball a little bit. This is certainly an area of his game that I think he's going to have to work on moving forward. And it might not not necessarily be him. It might be Bud that's going to have to say, okay, we can't afford to, to have this guy. And, and I have said this, that I feel bad for Giannis because at this point, we know the way he plays. We know the limitations that he still has in his game. And when it gets to the postseason, it's the second time in a row that the same way he's been able to play in the regular season hasn't worked in the postseason. It just hasn't. I certainly will say that the Raptors matchup was a nightmare for him. The Heat one was a nightmare for him. Do I think that this would have happened against Boston if they had to play in Boston right now against instead of Miami? No, I don't. I think it would have been better off. There's only a rare combination of players that are able to do this to Giannis. But by the same token, we just haven't seen enough variation with Giannis, the way they've been using him off, off ball, uh, putting him in different positions. And I think in that regard, we saw the benefit of giving the ball to Chris Middleton a little bit as a scorer and a playmaker. So I, I think in game five, again, Chris is going to have to carry a load and he's going to have to play 40 plus minutes again regardless of the situation as long as he can stay out of foul trouble it's going to be really important that he does because if not it's going to be curtains for the Bucks. but I mentioned the numbers yesterday Chris Milton the, the Bucks offensive rating with Chris Milton on the floor is at around 113 with Chris off the floor it's at 93 it just craters when he's not out there he is just vital as really one of the only guys that can just get his own bucket they need him out there 40 plus minutes no matter what happens tomorrow Yeah, and, you know, the interesting thing of assuming we won't have Giannis for game five is it kind of takes, I don't know if I want to say one of the problems, but it kind of takes one of the potential issues out of the hands of Coach Budenholzer in that from what we've seen from this series, I think it's clear, you know, the Bucs just need to go small. And this, you touched on the Raptors series last year and the Heat this year where, look, there's a number of reasons why the Bucks have struggled, but what it ultimately boils down to is 
both of these teams were just really bad matchups for the Bucks. And what we're seeing in this series is you almost need to go small and you need to attack it with Giannis as your five and Chris at the four. And the problem is, you know, Brooke Lopez is one of your three best players. So do you really put one of your best guys on the bench? At times it looks like that's what the Bucks need to do or at least do better jobs of situational substitutions where you're not having Brooke Lopez on the floor matched up with Kelly Olynyk and allowing Eric Spolster to kind of dictate where Brooke Lopez is going to be defensively. Uh, now that's gone. Where Now you're going to have to lean on Brooke and you're going to have to look at Brooke to be the guy that you saw really throughout this Disney bubble and um, at times in that Raptor series last year when Brooke Lopez and Malcolm Brogdon were maybe your two best players that now it's going to boil down to those two guys to Chris and Brooke and Eric Bledsoe too. And you're just going to have to ride these guys because the other thing, and I think you and Frank talked about this the other day from what I caught, but the other thing we're not talking about is now with no Giannis that opens up a spot in the rotation and I get the sense it's going to be Pat Connaughton, and I, I don't think that's the best move here for the Bucks. that I would almost be more inclined. I think we've talked about this guy before. I would almost just roll the dice and see if you can get any productive minutes from Sterling Brown and just continue to go small in this series. Yeah, it's interesting. DJ Wilson was the guy I brought up, but I, I think ultimately this comes back to the, the defensive scheme of this team. And, and again, I, I think more than anything, this series, again, has highlighted the Bucks' inability to go to plan B. And I think – and, and it, the, you could certainly – Well, I, be, don't, I don't know if it's even an inability as much as it's an unwillingness. <laughs> unwillingness or the other point might be that there is, just isn't a plan B. And, yeah. and I think we've seen that defensively from this team. I mean, their resistance to switching on pick-and-roll scenarios where it might be – Jimmy Butler and Duncan Robertson, or it, it might be two two guards or two wings, Goran Dragic and Butler, or Dragic and Robertson. The Bucks not switching in those situations has just cut them up. I mean, they, they've been able to get whatever they want in those situations, particularly when you're going small. I know Frank spoke about it a bit, but playing the drop scheme with Marvin Williams out on the floor just makes a little sense. But at the same time, we've certainly seen breakdowns where it looks like maybe the message has come out to switch a little bit more, but then... Giannis at times has been one that's got a little bit confused on those coverages and, and dropped anyway and left an open shooter. Uh, Marvin's at times looked a little bit out of position as well. So I think that the problem is that when they do try something different, they just don't really have enough reps to understand how to utilize that in a game situation. And it's one of the things that I think Bucks fans are going to look back over the offseason. And, and again, I mean, we hope that they pull off a miracle here. But if they don't, Bucks fans are going to look back and say, how can you approach the regular season differently moving forward? Because this is the second year in a row now where you can be as dominant as you want during the regular season. But when it comes to crunch time in the postseason, you've got to be able to do different things and you've got to be able to execute. And the Bucks just haven't been able to do that. And I think... The biggest thing is when I look at, and this is what's so crazy about the fact that this is a 3-1 series right now, because I do feel that at times watching this series, it's felt like Miami has been all over the box. And if you don't look at the scoreboard, it certainly has felt that way. And I know that late in games, it's blown out a little bit and the Bucs have failed to execute, particularly offensively. They've gone, they've had dry spells in the last five minutes too often and it's hurt them. There's no question about that. But if you look at the five-minute mark of the fourth quarter in all of these games, in game one, with five minutes to go, Miami led by one point. 
In game three, Miami led by one point. In game four, Miami led by one point. In game two, they led by six points. So three out of these four games, Miami has led by one point. The, the Bucks have been in all of these games in the fourth quarter. Now, we know they had the epic collapse in game three. We know how that went down. We know game two was a bit of a funny ending. So there's certain things they could have almost miraculously masked the situation that the Bucks are in right now, and they could have found themselves in a series. And again, we've spoke about this all season long, but I think the lack of competition during the regular season has haunted this Bucks team for the second year in a row. All right, Justin, time to talk about DoorDash. I, I can't, honestly, I can't talk about DoorDash enough. I'm hungry. I'm always hungry. I need to eat. And between never-ending laundry cycles and incoming emails, you've got plenty on your to-do list. Give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. Obviously, right now, maybe your favorite restaurant is closed for you to dine in, but those restaurants have counted on us in the past. Now they're counting on you even more so. And while those dining rooms are closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash deliveries are now contactless to keep communities we op- they operate in safe with over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia. You can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, the Cheesecake Factory, of course, Outback Steakhouse, whatever you, whatever you like to eat. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. When you download the DoorDash app and enter the code Locked On NBA, that's $5 off, zero delivery fees, enter the code Locked On NBA. Don't forget, Locked On NBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it's a couple of things. That's and and I, I said this on our, um, on the Bucks Radio Network, and I said it on our post game shows and on some of the other shows I've done. But I don't know if it's more encouraging or discouraging at this point that all three of those losses were winnable games for the Bucks. That it's not like Boston last year, and it's not like the Magic game, and it's not like some of these other outlier games in the regular season that we'll point to and say, well you know, the Bucs just played like crap and their opponents had a big shooting day and, and we'll hear Bud say our adjustment is to play better. And it, it rings true because we didn't play well and they had a game they're not going to replicate. Um, that's not the case in these. Now, the only thing that you wait for to come back to earth a little bit, I think, is Jay Crowder's three-point shooting. But other than that, it's not as if Miami is doing a lot that's unsustainable you've been in these games, you just haven't executed. And, you know, it, it's looked like Miami's the one seed and you're the five seed that is struggling to make plays down the stretch. Um, the, the point you brought up too about the regular season adjustments and not going through these in the regular season and, and some of the switching that we've seen and just this reluctance to go to a plan B if that exists. You know, I, I don't know if you were a Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul fan, but the infamous line that Mike had about half measures with, you know, the moral of the story, I chose a half measure when I should have gone all the way. I'll never make that mistake again. It just feels like we've seen so many half measures from this team. I mean, you get Marvin Williams and the thought is, okay, we can go to switching and Mm -hmm. you do it to some extent, but you go halfway where, yeah, we'll switch at the point of attack, but we're still playing the drop defense and all these things we thought and the possibilities we thought would be opened up and we just see them sticking with the status quo. So, you know, it's it's going to be 
whenever this does end, there's going to be a lot of questions that need to be answered. And, you know, some of these changes that I think we're all pointed to and saying, well, we need to see you do this and this and this, you know, on the one hand, you can understand Mike Budenholzer's reluctance. On the other, you see two straight years of running into a wall in the postseason and just sticking with, we're better. Our schemes are better. We're going to keep doing this until we execute and seeing what the end result is. And, you know, I don't know that we can expect change going forward. I think that's fair. And I think that's why, uh, you know, even though I did, and it is, I don't, it's not something I expect to happen, but that's even why when I said, well, if you're going to cut Pat Conan and out a guy that gives you nothing offensively, has given you nothing offensively, sure, he can get hot from three potentially, but he's not creating anything. And defensively, he's been a bit all over the shop as well. Would you try a DJ Wilson? But, you know, then I think about it and I say, well, what's the benefit of throwing DJ Wilson in there? You can play some small lineups, you can switch, you can get some activity defensively. They're probably not going to do that anyway. So maybe you lose the advantage of of bringing in someone like him in those situations. Just a couple of numbers I wanted to run through here. And it's interesting to look at because I, and I've spoken about it, some of the shots, shot selection that the Bucks have taken has been frustrating to say the least in this series. It feels like a, at times or at regular occurrences, they have halted their own momentum by taking poor shots. You look at the offensive rating in this series for the Bucks, 109.5. Uh, during the regular season against Miami, it was only 105.5. So the offense has improved. And it's actually the, regu- the regular season offensive rating of the Bucks was 111.9. So they're only down about two points per 100 possessions, which is kind of remarkable to think about. I mean, we've spoken a lot about their struggles. We've spoken about Giannis' struggles. I think if we had have read out Giannis' current stats in this series, the fact that he hasn't had a 30-point game, the fact that he hasn't had that efficient explosion offensively, I think you would be absolutely shocked if I said that offensively, the offensive efficiency is very similar to regular season levels. It's certainly been defensively where the Bucs have been hurt. The defensive rating in the series so far, 115. Uh, that's 13 points per 100 possessions worse than it was in the regular season. And there's a couple of numbers that really stand out to me. First of all, the fast break points that the Bucs have been able to score are down 6.7 from the regular season. They've got nothing in transition, absolutely nothing. And the credit has to go to Miami, first of all, for their transition defense. They've been so damn disciplined and they haven't given an inch. Sometimes we see games where the Bucks will struggle, but they'll break free for one quarter or Giannis will be able to get on top of a team. It just hasn't happened. And the other reason for this is because they're making a hell of a lot of shots. They're shooting well from three. The second chance opportunities is a problem. The Bucks are giving up 3.5 more points on second chance opportunities than they were. And then the other one is they, Miami are having plus 7.1 free throw attempts compared to the regular season. So there's just a lot of stoppage of plays. This has contributed to the fact that the Bucks' offense is running at a pace of 7.8 possessions fewer per game or fewer per, uh, sorry, yeah, fewer per 48 minutes, seven possessions uh, lower. So everything has just slowed down to a halt. Remarkable when you look at those numbers that the Bucks have been so efficient offensively. But at this point, four games into the series, I don't have any hope that, they're going to be able to reverse that or change that because, as I said, Miami is so structured, so disciplined that they just don't really make any mistakes. So how can the Bucks get over the hump? You spoke about the way Jay Crowder is shooting. Obviously, he's been fantastic. Miami are 42.6% on wide-open threes this series. The Bucks are only 29.5%. And uh, I did comment on this because I know people automatically will say, well, yeah, that's because Giannis and Bledsoe are playing. Well, 
even if you take out Giannis and Bledsoe on wide open threes, they're one for nine so far. The Bucks are still only at 34% on wide open threes, so minus 8% from the Heat. And across the last three games, the Bucks are shooting 29% from three. So same old story from the Raptors series last year, Justin. The Bucks aren't knocking down threes. And once in a game that slows down, one team's making them, the other team isn't. That's the story we're, we're seeing here. Well, I mean, and, and that's the thing is, you know, we bring up Jay Crowder specifically, who I think shot 29% when he was in Memphis this year from three. And, uh, you know, Jay Crowder is the throw-in to that Andre Iguodala trade. And, you know, you think about how differently things may look right now if Miami wasn't able to pull off that trade and the other one that they were very close to and we heard a lot of people say they were at the goal line was for Gallinari. And if it would have been the Gallinari move that they got instead where, you know, granted, you're getting a better shooter than Jay Crowder, even though he's shooting the lights out in this series. But I don't think Danilo Gallinari allows Miami to do some of the things defensively they're doing against the Bucks in this series. And, you know, at some point you expect Jay Crowder's shooting to fall back to earth a little bit. But as you brought up, we didn't see that last year with Fred Van Vliet, and we saw it sustained – through a series. So the Bucks are just going to need look, it's all about one game at a time and all the clichés that everybody in the locker room will say and when you're facing elimination, it's never more true, but they're just going to need whether it's game 5 or if you can somehow, you know, win again and prolong it to game 6, it's got to come soon. They're going to need one of these games where they shoot, you know, 45% from three and remain shooting. Because we've seen them through stretches in this series where they have had some big shooting games or big shooting quarters. But they're going to need four quarters of it if they're going to prolong their season. Yeah, game one, the Bucks shot 45% from three. And that's why that one was such a blow. And you got good performances in the first half from Chris and Brooke. But Giannis wasn't able to get going. And that's why that one felt like such a gut punch because the, the reality is, I mean, we can, we can sit here and, and I, I throw those numbers out there and I say they've shot 29% from three over three games. And you say, well, that's pretty low. But the Bucks are a spectacularly average three-point shooting yeah. team. I mean, they ranked 18th in the NBA through the season. And, and that's kind of the thing that it's, it's kind of a smokescreen with the Bucks because you look at the guys that put around Giannis and they've got a lot of credit for the roster. And I, I think they've done a, a good job considering. I mean, they have put shooters around them, but they just don't have many knockdown guys. And, and I think when I look at the guys that Miami have on their team, obviously Dragic, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, they're just more dangerous. They just put more fear into you as a team shooting from the outside. Well, and we've heard quite a few people uh, around the league put it that the Bucks were a fake good shooting team all year where, as you said, a lot of those looks were created by, you know, Giannis creating open looks for guys. And we saw Malcolm Brogdon take advantage of that. Um, what last year, but what it translates to in the playoffs is, you know, do other defenses fear this guy? And you're seeing what Miami has done. It, it, the answer is no, where we're seeing them leave shooters wide open and uncontested. And basically everybody on the roster, other than Chris Middleton, that Miami is just saying, go ahead and shoot it. We don't care. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to take somebody other than Chris Middleton or Brooke Lopez to have a big game from the outside because, uh, you know, I, I don't know. You go back and forth with this Heat team offensively and what's most important to slow down of – you know, Bam Adebayo, you can make a strong case, has been consistently their best player in this series. But we saw Jimmy Butler kill the Bucs in game one and game three. Goran Dragic always kills the Bucs. I don't think it's coincidental that the one game this series you won, 
you somewhat limited that duo of Butler and Dragic, where I think Goran was one of nine from three. So you're going to need Miami to, to have another game like that where they don't play well. And, you know, Brooke Lopez has said this a number of times throughout this series that you know, it's all about our defense. We're not concerned with the offense, and those numbers you gave would dictate that. I think the other thing, I think it was after game two that you and I last spoke where we even said the Bucks scored 114 points and they hit seven three-pointers in this game. So <laughs> they're still finding things yeah. offensively. It's just the defense, you know, now you need three more games where the defense plays like the far and away top-rated defense in the league. So the, the big number to point to just as we look to wrap this up here, and, and this is, again, is an indication of why as much as it's frustrating and as much as, you know, we don't like to talk about it and it's depressing to talk about when, you, when people say the Bucs are a regular season team, this is another number that points to maybe there's something to that. When I spoke about the wide open threes that the Bucs have hit, uh, they are 29%, as I said, but they're only getting 11 attempts during the regular season. They got 21. So this is what happens with playoff defense. The closeouts uh, happen more aggressively. There's more pressure on the shooters from that defense, whereas in a regular season game, it's like, oh, whatever, you know, you can get that shot off. And then that's what happens over the course of an 80-game regular season, obviously a little bit shortened. But just that number, the fact that, yeah, they're struggling to hit those wide-open threes, but they're only getting half the opportunities they did on average in a regular season game just goes to show uh, some of the struggles they've had getting into that system, despite the fact that I think talent alone is allowing them to score. One last thing on the injury report. So obviously we spoke about Giannis for Miami. Jay Crowder, that guy we spoke about, is questionable with an ankle sprain that did occur with that uh, kind of scary incident that happened with Chris Milton. He was sort of falling to the floor. Certainly, you know, nothing dangerous or intentional there. Chris straight away picked him up and, and apologized for for that. But we'll see how Drake, Jay Crowder pulls up. And Tyler Hero also with a hip injury is questionable uh, on the injury report. And Kelly Olenek again, who missed the last game. So listen, you know, maybe the Bucs need a little bit of luck. I, I'm not sure, but it's interesting to see which one of those three or how many of those three are able to suit up. But as you said, Justin, it's whether it's a cliche or not, it's literally one game at a time. They pegged it back to 3-1. If you can get it back to three two, that's when I'll start to. Uh, that's when I'll start to have some crazy fantasies. That's when you have about, my interest. Uh, <laughs> that, that's that's when I'm going to start to have some crazy fantasies about this miracle. Particularly if Giannis doesn't play tomorrow and they get the job done. My prediction is if they're going to win, if Giannis doesn't play, Eric Bledsoe's got to be the guy. They, you've got to get a Bledsoe game. Whether it's him knocking down those threes, I don't think we think he's going to stop taking those shots. So if he starts knocking down a few of those, if he gets you 25 points, I think the Bucs can win this game. Eric Bledsoe, I'm throwing it down to you. Well, and he was, what, six or seven from the field on non-three-pointers. Yeah. So if you can keep that and he can continue to beat Goran Dragic off the dribble and create shots that way, you know, you're, you're in all likelihood, you're going to need about 70 points out of or more out of – Bledsoe, Brooke, and, and Chris. And Olenek and, uh, and Hero were both on the injury report for game four, too, I believe. Um, but if you're Miami, I mean, uh, you don't I would think they, right. I would think the Heat are approaching this as if it's a game seven that, look, let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of this team now and let's end this now. Let's not continue to give them any hope, especially if Giannis doesn't play in five and there's a chance that he comes back in six and, you know, for the remainder of the series that this one's just as big, I think, well, obviously bigger, but for the Bucks, but this one's pretty big for Miami too, to end this now and not let this prolong anymore. 
Last one, starting lineup. What's your prediction if Giannis doesn't play? Because we know the Bucks went to two guard lineups a lot. Bledsoe is guarding Jimmy Butler down the stretch. D- Dante's obviously had a, a pretty good last two games. He's really started to look like himself. What do you think they do with the, with the starting lineup if Giannis is out? I think they're going to go small. And Dante starts and Chris slides up to the four. That's, that's reasonable, yeah. Dante, this, particularly with the fact that he's played wild these last two games, I think that makes some sense. I don't think they want to go with a two-point guard lineup with, with Georgia and Bledsoe, even though they've done that down the stretch. So I'd probably be leaning in the same direction. I think they'll go with Dante. Uh, 5.30 p.m., tip-off. You can listen to Justin, Ted Davis. Zora still with you guys? Zora's still with us, yeah. Zora's there as well, so you can catch the radio call there. Uh, if you'd prefer to hear... A call that, you know, they enjoy Bucks basketball, a little more friendly, a little more fan-friendly for Milwaukee fans. Uh, Justin, what time is it? What time are you guys tipping off there? Uh, well, the 5.30 tip, so we start the radio broadcast at 5. Beautiful. Justin, appreciate you coming on. Uh, I, I really hope we get the chance to have another podcast of the season still alive. I hope this isn't the last time. It's always good catching up with you. But for everyone else, uh, win or lose, We'll be back post-game. Hopefully, the Bucks season is still alive and uh, we all start to get a little bit excited about what's going to happen in this series. Uh, for Justin Garcia and myself, Kane Pittman, uh, stay safe. We'll speak to you guys after game five.